welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we're going to get in the Halloween spirit and discuss books about witches. So Anne, this was your suggestion uh, from like months ago. You wanted yes. to do this like, topic. Like as soon as we, just start, we said, okay, so I have thoughts about why I'm feeling witches right now. And I don't think I'm the only one because there are so many books that are coming out about witches right now. I feel mm-hmm. like everything that's at all Halloween related is witch focused. And also just lots of movies. There's Sabrina on Netflix. And I I just feel like everyone is kind of in in this witchy spirit right now. Mm -hmm. So my thoughts on that are that female rage is Mm -hmm. a huge thing for lots of people. Um, A lot of people are are, uh, recognizing the way that women are treated in society is problematic Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a a delicate word. And I think that since horror is all about overcoming our fears, then one of the big fears for for lots of women right now is a fear of the loss of their personal autonomy. And so if you're going to have that reflected in culture, then books about female power and ways that you can protect yourself and protect the people around you what are you seeing as a as a reader? Do you do you feel that same way, or do you think that there's more to it than that? No, I was totally thinking the same thing. As far as a lot of what's coming out now, I think is taking current day. The word that comes to mind is trauma, which I don't know is the right way to say it, but it's sort of like, like you said, female rage and sort of looking at historically like how women who were considered hysterical or whatever were treated or who were considered like to have power were treated and that this is a way to channel that into art. Uh, So yeah, so I I totally agree. It's funny when you picked this or suggested this topic, I was like, sure, that's a great idea. You know, I've been seeing the same thing you have where there's this trend. And then when I actually started, sat down to think about what I could talk about, I was like, I have not read that many witch books which is which I actually read more than I thought when I actually looked but I do feel like it's maybe gaining in popularity now and in a way that in the past 10 years or so as I looked back at what I've I've read I I didn't see as many examples of or what I saw uh, like I'd read some teen books that were included which is that were more when like that paranormal sort of in the twilight era were happening. And so I saw that, but I feel like what we're seeing now is a lot of books geared towards adults um, have these witches, which was less common, I think, in in the recent publishing past. And I think it it kind of ties into the same concepts behind psychological suspense, which are all to do with the ways that your domestic life or or your your everyday life is not what it seems to be and mm-hmm. the trauma i think is a fair word of dealing with those those uh, unknowns mm-hmm. but now we're seeing kind of the next step of it of of taking that power back instead right. of instead of fearing it or or feeling unsettled by it it's what are we going to do about it right. and and right. so now you get lots of spells yeah yeah all right, well, do do we want to just go ahead and dive in and start talking about it? Sure, or do you... yeah. So maybe a little bit of a precursor to what I did with my books. So my mm-hmm. intention when I suggested this was I, I have a ton of witchy horror books that I have on my shelf that I want to read. And so my intention when I said to Hallie, we're doing witches, <laughs> you, don't, you don't get a choice in this, was... Um, to read those books and then recommend them. But instead, I kind of went a different direction. I wanted to read, I wanted to talk about one book. And then I found a different book that I was also interested in. And they were both set in Salem. And so I decided instead of trying to find something else, I would just lean into the whole thing. So all of my books are Salem based. So I like a theme. Yes. And if you know me in real life, you know that the Salem Witch Trials is uh, one of my favorite topics. So this (laughs) fits very well for me. So my first book is How to Hang a Witch by Adriana Mather. And it's interesting because it's actually written by a descendant of Cotton Mather, who is, um, Mm. if you know the history of the witch trials at all, he was Mm -hmm. a minister in Boston who wrote about witches and then was hugely influential over the trials. So he was a, a contemporary character in all of that, where he, he he wasn't just someone who was kind of off to the side who wrote a book and then, you know, that book was was used as evidence against anyone. He was he was an active 
participant in all of this. So so this book is YA, and it is about a teenager named Samantha Mather, and she is from New York City, but she moves to Salem with her stepmother, Vivian, after her father goes into a coma. And at the beginning of the book, you don't really know why he's in a coma. He's um, You kind of get some hints, but it isn't until later that you, you get very much information about it. So um, as a reader, sometimes when I don't understand something right at the beginning, I I think that I've missed something. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, you didn't miss anything. Mm -hmm. They just don't explain it. So his family is originally from Salem, but Samantha has never been. Grandmother lived there, but her father was estranged from her grandmother. And so she, she just has never had any kind of relationship with her. The family, Vivian and Samantha, move into the grandmother's house. And did I say the grandmother died recently? Yeah. She died recently. Yeah, I okay. Think okay. I, think yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. I think you do. Um, <laughs> so, so they move into this this giant, beautiful house, and um, Samantha has never had friends when she was uh, in elementary school because bad things always happen. So she thinks that she's cursed. She mm-hmm. she just doesn't have an explanation for it. But um, the family next door immediately decides that they're best friends with with Samantha. So there's a boy her age named Jackson and his mother is named Mrs. Merriweather and she and Samantha's father were friends growing up and so they're thrilled that that they've moved next door and that they can have this relationship with the family again. So so Samantha kind of tries to avoid it but she begrudgingly becomes friends with both of them. But then when she goes to school, it's just awful. She has a horrible first day and she runs into this group called the Descendants and they're a group of of five. There's four girls and one one boy and they all dress in black and they they describe it as as goth glam. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why didn't I dress that way in high school? <laughs> I can't think of anything like kind of Victorian-y morning yeah. style. Oh. Yeah. I really missed out on that by being preppy. <laughs> so they they immediately hate her and and make it very clear that they hate her. So she finds out through Jackson that they're all descendants of accused witches from um, the witch trials and that they hate her simply for being a mather and that in Salem, history never dies, that this is all very, very real to them. And so it isn't just a past thing to... Uh, learn about in school, but it's it's actively part of their lives. So from the beginning of living in this house, Samantha knows that something is oh, something is kind of weird. There are things that fall out of her closet, and stuff isn't where she left it. And then she finds a packet of letters in her dresser that describe this kind of melancholy love affair. Kind of through a series of events of finding these letters, she uh, encounters a handsome eighteen-year-old ghost who, oh, okay. um, yes, who uh, shows up and he's not happy that she's in the house and he's not happy that she found these letters. So, as she be- she continues to be bullied at school, she realizes that her history is tied to the descendants and that there's this pattern of, of events that she feels is mirroring the events of the witch trials in 1692. So she decides that she has to work with the descendants in order to break this curse. And I can't think of a book that I've read it as as an adult that I would have, I would have loved this book as a kid. Like Mm I, I don't know of any book I've read since I was a kid that, that kind of screamed young Anne to me <laughs> as much as this one has I would have died for this when I was a teenager or probably like 12 would would have been the perfect age because I was really into the Salem witch trials which as a 12 year old is the logical thing to be into obviously uh, yes um and I love that it has kind of high school mean girl aspects to it and it has ghosts and there's a secret passage in the book mm-hmm. and then they do all this research with primary documents <laughs> so That's it's awesome. very it's very me. So I I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, Samantha, or, sorry, not Samantha, Adriana, the author, uh, Mather, said that in she wrote an afterword to the book where she, she talked about wanting to explore this part of her family history and how she sort of grew up that same way where history wasn't just something for books. It was it was an active part of her life. And so when she was looking into it, she found out that Cotton Mather was a much more complicated man than she had believed growing up. Um, she found out that he was a proponent of smallpox inoculations, oh. which I wouldn't think for uh, someone who believes in witches that right, in right. my brain doesn't go together. But he was a very scientific person. But he also 
was part of this this horrifying element of our our national history. So, um, so she she felt like in her book she wanted to reflect that and and talk about how history isn't just what you expect it to be from from reading centuries later account of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, she she talks about how this book is about bullying. That in past centuries, people who were different were accused as witches, but now they're bullied. But the, that same pattern takes place in both instances. We just have a different name for it, and both have very terrible consequences. So, so it was a really I, I wasn't expecting that part of the story when I went into this book. I just thought it would be kind of a fun, spooky. Halloweeny sort of book, but it it had a lot more to say than I was expecting. So that is How to Hang a Witch by Adriana Mather. That sounds so good. Yeah, you would I love it. I haven't even heard of that. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, my first one is A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. This is the first in a trilogy. I yes. Believe. Yes. But it's kind uh, of a side. There's book. like a yeah. There's like something in the same world, right? Yeah. But it's not actually part of the main story. Yeah. And I believe it's also a TV show, which... Yes. Yeah. Almost everything I'm talking about today has some sort of media connection, which is kind of funny. Anyway, uh, so obviously witches are having a moment because there's all this TV as well as books that are coming out. Yeah. Um, so it, the, I'm only going to talk about the first book. I'm not going to talk about the series. But the first book is about a woman named Diana, who is a history scholar and she is a witch, but she she's trying to shut off that part of her life. Parents were both very powerful witches, and uh, they left her orphaned. And so ever since she has denied that part of her of her life and focused on her intellect over any sort of magical powers. And she's studying at Yale, and she's at the Bodleian Library, and she kind of just stumbles on this ancient book of alchemy. And when she opens it, all of a sudden, like because of her innate power, stuff starts happening because she has come in contact with this book. And this book has been like lost for to the magical world for years and years and years. And so the fact that she has found it attracts the attention of a whole bunch of different not so good people and all sort of magical beings. And one of the one of the beings that it uh, draws attention to her who he notices her is a 1500 year old vampire and his name is Matthew but he seems to have sort of like a different perspective about this than the other people like she feels like she's in danger from everybody else that's coming at her about this book but he seems to actually kind of want to protect her and keep her safe and has clearly some sort of like mysterious business with the book going on but also he just seems like a safety space for her. Uh, He doesn't seem like somebody who's out to get her. Um, But she also feels very attracted to him. There's this this instant chemistry between the two of them and this attraction. And so they end up traveling all around the world because of this adventure that they're having with this book. They also travel in time. So there's a lot to this book. Like, it's kind of an adventure story. It's pretty action-packed, but it's also pretty character driven because it's about their relationship it's pretty steamy like their romantic relationship gets pretty steamy Ooh la la i know it's just it's it offers a lot it's a it's sort of like like if you like outlander i feel like this is a similar feeling kind of book i would say oh cool uh, in the elements that it brings together like it's not a straight up romance it's not just a straight up fantasy it has like all these different aspects to it um like i said it's a first in a series there is a tv show i have not watched the tv show yet and then it goes on to again there are elements of like time travel and and this book just opens up this world uh to this woman diana and and her powers as a witch that she has not ever recognized before uh so that is a discovery of witches by deborah harkness that's another one as i say for most books one that i have on my shelf that i haven't gotten to yet (laughs) (laughs) but she so deborah harkness came to nashville last fall whenever her last book came out she came oh yeah um, or something yeah yeah, and she did she did an event at the library that i went to which is kind of goofy that i went to this since i haven't read her book that like i I just i just go to stuff so um and she was one of the most engaging and interesting speakers i think i've ever 
listen to at a book talk. Like, like they're not definitely not all created equal, but she was just so fun to listen to. And then the next day, so I, I met her in the signing line and she was, she found out that I work for a book company and she was just so excited about that because she was coming to work the next day to do another talk. And I, it, I signed up for the first talk before I knew she was coming to work and I, I still went to it, but she, then, then the next day she gave an equally enjoyable, but different talk. And it was so cool to see her just sort of just how, how able she was to cater to the audience. Like her first talk was about, was definitely more for people who knew the books. So um, even though I hadn't listened, I hadn't read the books, it still was super interesting. But then the second one was all about scholarship and, um, sort of her research process and it was so cool and then she remembered me in the huh? in the oh signing line like I've never had an author say oh Anne there you are right it, oh, it was so crazy cool. yeah she that's was so cool. nice so oh that um, makes me like her even more yeah so that's she so was great. and she's a history professor so yeah. so it just was cool to see yeah I would say that the book feels well researched yeah. you know it feels like this isn't her making it out up whole cloth like yeah. she is she is basing this in real historical events and it's in if I'm remembering correctly the second book basically the whole thing takes place in the past like they travel in time to the past and it's a lot of historical figures of the time play Uh a role and it definitely feels like I I felt I felt like I was in trusted hands like she knew what she was doing and she was she was providing like a lot of historical context that felt realistic to me right even though it's like a fantasy time travel novel right so. and that's actually, my favorite like, type yeah of, me too, of, me too. Of where it has some grounding in in yeah, reality so yeah, sorry go ahead you were no I was just gonna say so I'm not gonna name any names but I went when I went to the ALA conference last year I saw somebody speak who I saw in the morning at a morning session and in the afternoon at like a different panel and he told the exact same story <gasps> both times and it was it was okay like I get it like you're you know you have that story that means a lot to you or or is appropriate for the venue or whatever and so you want to share it with people and you assume that you're not going to have that much overlap between like the two different sessions but what got to me is it was kind of an emotional story that this person was telling uh-huh. and he got like choked up in the exact same part <gasps> and i just felt like i i <laughs> it yeah just, it just feels rehearsed it, it felt it felt insincere and yeah. i just i'm like afterwards i just thought oh man like i the first time i heard it i thought i was much more moved by it and then the second time i was like oh wait now i wonder how much of it is for yeah. effect and how much of it was the truth and yeah. I don't know and again I understand especially if authors are on tour why they would rely on similar anecdotes and things and they probably get asked a lot of the same questions and so For I sure. totally like I am no judgment here but like that just stuck out to me that I thought huh I don't I don't know that that was the best look for him yeah <laughs> to, yeah to repeat and he actually I should say he was not an author he was an audiobook narrator Oh, okay. So he's a bit of an actor anyway, because he's a narrator, you know, and so I think some of it just came from being a bit of a dramatic person. Right. And so the way he presents a story is obviously going to have some elements of drama to it. But I did. I just sort of side eyed him a little bit like, uh, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> so that's even more impressive that Deborah Harkness made such a switch over right. two days to, based on the audience. That's pretty Right. Awesome. And I, I even at one point wanted to raise my hand and say, but aren't you going to tell that story from last night? Like, I, I expected, I told my coworkers you had this great story right. that you were going to tell today. And now you're not telling it. And I didn't do that. But it yeah. was, it was, it, I just have never seen someone switch that completely to a different, she's telling the same information, but in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. And, and and filling in anecdotes differently and and it just it was very impressive to me so i'm a fan having never read her book (laughs) (laughs) well now you'll just have to add it to that towering stack of books it's already there (laughs) (laughs) all right what's your next one my next book is we ride on sticks by kwan berry and this is a bit of a cheat because it's actually coming out in March, but I've been so excited about it that I decided I needed to 
include it here. It's set in Danvers, Massachusetts in 1989. And so I don't know, Hallie, if you know about the the Danvers versus Salem aspect of the witch trials. I do not. I was not as immersed in uh, witchcraft as a child as you were. <laughs> your, your 12-year-old experiences were different than mine. Yes, so, yes. Um, okay, so forgive me a little bit for a little bit of a history thing. So so Danvers is, is this other town now, but at the time of the witch trials, it was called Salem Village, and it's actually the place where everything basically happened in the witch trials. So all of the accusers were in Salem Village, and then there was Salem Town, which was which is what Salem is now, and that's where the the court trials took place. But the like the starting elements of the of the witch trials and the the accusers and the uh, many of the women they accused were in Salem Village, and it had a much different type of um, flavor than Salem Town had. It was it was much more rural and much poorer than than Salem Town. And so from what I understand, I haven't been there yet. It's on my list of places to go, maybe for my birthday some year. <laughs> um, but from what I understand, Salem Salem existing now, which was formerly Salem Town, has really leaned into the witch trial aspect. And so they're just very big on the tourism and and have really identified with with that but but Danvers the former Salem village has completely moved away from it so they have these maybe some historical locations but they're not they're not uh trying to bring in tourism in that same way that Salem the the existing Salem now uh has so they have my understanding is they have a much different attitude toward the the witch trials than Salem does Mm -hmm. so um which if you think about the fact that that so many people there died and if if uh history never dies there then you can kind of understand why they aren't embracing this whole yay witches come come see witchy shops and witchy uh trinkets and things so so this is this is my understanding of it so this book is is set in danvers so original location for all of this it's uh, it surrounds the high school field hockey team okay. in, in danvers um and historically they're just awful they've never had a winning season and this season in 1989 is particularly bad and so this is the summer before their senior year for for most of the girls senior year I, I, obviously they're not all seniors but the i think the main people we're focusing on i think are are all seniors and so so they go to a sports camp in new hampshire and they're humiliated by all these teams across the state i think it's new hampshire and massachusetts that are meeting up there and so they they just feel like this is this is this they're just the laughing stock of this mm-hmm. entire camp. And so their goalie uh, is named Mel and she is very Catholic. She's actually French Canadian. And uh, she decides that she is going to look for some spiritual intervention, but a different path than the Catholic manner that she's been using before. So suddenly she's amazing at being a goalie and the rest of the team wants to know what happened and they want in on whatever she's doing. So what they have to do is sign their name in a notebook that has Emilio Estevez on the cover and they tie a piece of a torn athletic stuff athletic sock around their arm and they can never take it off and the team gets dramatically better they actually beat the camp staff in the last uh, sort of all-star game that they hold the last night of camp which has never happened before in the entire history of of the camp so they go back to school and each member of the team notices that everything is a little bit different in their lives and so the book covers each individual member of the team as well as the collective and they it goes into all of their personal struggles and their their individual personalities, and it focuses on how they change over the course of the year, and it has just this really irreverent sensibility. I'm I'm not going to go into all of the different storylines just because there it does focus on each member of the team, and so mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to get into. It's it's kind of hard to describe a plot that that is individual plots right, right. in in so many ways, but it's kind of like Heather's meets the craft meets the Breakfast Club. Oh, this sounds amazing, right? <laughs> and I one of the things I really enjoyed about it is that it feels more authentically '80s than most other books or or any media that looks back on the era. I I think that Stranger Things is kind of an anomaly on how '80s it feels, but most. Most movies that I see, especially kind of teen girl movies that are supposed to show the 80s, just are so over the top with it that it mm. doesn't feel 
it's it's like all the greatest hits of the 80s and it still looks totally modern but obviously this is book form so I'm, I'm not sure how it would it would play out if it were filmed but it it just doesn't feel like it's trying as hard so they mm-hmm. they definitely mention kind of stereotypical things like big hair and movie quotes but it just doesn't feel like they're like that's the only focus on it it's it's just the author has done a really good job of, of incorporating it naturally into the book so I've really enjoyed that about it even though it is about witches and but it isn't entirely about witches it's it's much more about finding your own capabilities and then it just has this sort of witchy twist to it and I love I, I'm not really a pun person but I love the the pun of the of broomsticks versus field hockey sticks in yeah. the in the title and so I've this came on my radar a few months ago and I've I've just been like counting the days <laughs> until it comes out because it, it just is such a great mix of, of things I think so that is we ride upon sticks by Quan Berry. Okay, can I tell you something totally off topic that I just have to share? <laughs> yeah, that reminded me when you were talking about movies set in the 80s. So while I was looking for books that to talk about today, I just was looking on Goodreads at various like lists of books about witches and stuff. And I stumbled on the fact that there's a book called The Worst Witch. Are you familiar oh, with this? I've heard of it, but... Okay. I did not know it was a book. It was made into a movie in the 80s. Right. And it played on like the Disney Channel or something all the time around Halloween. And it was this like really poor production quality. And it was all like, I don't remember very much about it, but I just remember that, like, I don't remember the storyline at all, except that Tim Curry, I think is in it. And he plays like a wizard who's coming at the end and they all want to impress him at the school. Anyway, the main character is a girl named Mildred Hubble, who (laughs) is the worst witch. Like, that's the whole story, is that she's, like, a terrible witch. And so she's always getting in trouble in school and whatever because she's not able to do the magic she's supposed to do. Uh For some reason, my sister and I, like, were obsessed with this movie. And to this day, are always, like, Mildred Hubble. Like, we always (laughs) talk about Mildred Hubble. And I don't know why. I don't know why it like stuck with us so much, but I had no idea it was a book. So now, was, I'm so, so it was a book first. I or? assume so. Huh. It seems like it's maybe like a classic, not a classic, you know, but like an older title called The Worst Witch. And then they must have made a movie out of it. Oh and my gosh! I'm so excited. It was like the biggest revelation when I was li- doing some research for this episode. I was like, "There's a movie, or there's a book about Mildred Hubble." I have to read it. <laughs> That's the wait. Heather, don't listen. I'm assuming this is Heather. This is Heather, yes. Don't listen. Hallie's going to buy that for you for Christmas. Oh, that would be such a good gift. Yes, Heather. Stop listening. But the movie was completely bonkers, if I remember. Like, it was like, there's this whole, you know, again, production values in the 80s, not as good as today. So, like, trying to make people fly on broomsticks that yeah. look realistic isn't going to happen. And there's like a, it's a musical, I think. Oh. There's a song. There's at least a song at the end that I remember. Anyway, I know. That might have just turned me off from it. Yeah, you hate musicals, I know. But I mean, I don't think it was really. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's at least one song, but that may have been it. Anyway. I think it's on Netflix, so. Oh, it is? I think it is. I'm totally going to watch it. I'm totally going to read the book and then watch it. Okay. Anyway, that was. I'm sorry for that digression, but I I love it. I had to share that that was my excitement for the week. (laughs) Okay, so my next one. I don't know that this actually fits the theme, but I'm going to say it does, is The Magicians by Lev Grossman. And it is the first in a series, again, a trilogy, also a TV show, which I have only watched the first season, but the the TV show is pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. So have you read the book? I read the first book. Okay. uh, And I don't think I, I don't think I have finished the series, but yes, I enjoyed it. This series is interesting to me because... I only felt, let let me back up. I think the series as a whole is really, really good and strong. And I actually really liked the way it ended. And that sort of made me look at the first book in a different way. And I'll I'll explain why I had an issue with the first book. Because I think if you know it going into it, it's easier, like you would like it more. Okay, I'm curious about that because there are things about the first book that I found I like half loved the book and yeah. half was eh about yeah, the book. Right, right. So I want to so, know. 
Okay, so let me tell you. Okay, so we'll tell our listeners a little bit about the book first, and we'll talk about why it's like has this mixed emotions to it. Part of the thing I think was expectations. When it came out, it was marketed at, marketed as Harry Potter for adults, and it is not. Like it, right? It, it, I see why that's a very easy sort of place to go to as a comparison, and it's like a shorthand in a way that it makes it sellable. But it's a it's a much much darker version of magic than Harry Potter and it's older. I mean, I understand like they're saying it's an adult version, but it's, it's characters that are in college and then beyond college. So they're doing things that college age kids do and they're dabbling in magic in ways that like Harry Potter was such a fantasy. And this is like a grittier, darker version. So Harry Potter for adults still to me has this connotation of being the same kind of tone as Harry Potter. And the Magicians is just a much, much darker story. So that's, I think, part of why I didn't love the first book when I read it. But I liked it. I liked it, but I just didn't love it. But so basically, it's about this boy or teenager named Quentin Coldwater. And when he was a child, there was this book series that was a fantasy series very similar to the Chronicles of Narnia about kids that were in this fantasy world called Fillory. And he he was kind of obsessed with it as a kid. Like he became very, very enraptured by this world. He would read the books over and over and over again. He knew it backwards and forwards and it was sort of an escape for him. You know, he life wasn't great always. And so he would escape into these books. And one day he's just kind of going about his life. He's a senior in high school and is invited to take an entrance exam for what he realizes is like a magical college. And he, it's like he and two of his friends, I believe it's uh, another guy and a girl. And they all go and he ends up getting into this magical college. And it's like, oh my gosh, he's thinking all my dreams have come true. You know, this this world that I was obsessed with as a child is now going to like become my reality because I'm going to learn magic. And what and then the, what the book does is it kind of flips the script a little bit because it's still just school. Like you still are learning in classrooms and it, it all of a sudden it takes like the specialness away from magic because you're learning, you have homework and you have to do like exactly what the professors are telling you to do and stuff. And so it, it's sort of like the secret history a little bit in a weird way, I would say. Like that's like a better comparison than Harry Potter. Um, because you still have all the elements of, again, what college kids do in college, which is a lot of drinking and sex and like exploring of the world to like push their boundaries a little bit. And angst. And angst. So much angst. So much <laughs> angst. So that's my next point of why I don't think I loved the first book is it really does focus on Quentin as the main character. And Quentin, I think, is whiny and annoying and like <laughs> not my favorite character to spend time with. So to me, part of why I ended up enjoying the series as a whole and why I think if I went back and revisited the first one or why I think the first one is worth, like why I'm suggesting it here today is because, first of all, the characters really grow throughout the book or books, the series. And so much like people, <laughs> when you're maybe 18 years old, you're not the, the best version of yourself always. And you grow up and you have experiences and it turns you into an adult in ways that you don't know when you're 18 years old. So Quentin grows throughout the book and then he there are all these side characters that are friends of his and classmates of his that develop and they have their own paths and their own stories throughout the books that all the it's all the groundwork is laid in that first book. So there are a couple of female side character excuse me female side characters that are her, his friends that I think kind of steal the show personally. And that's why I'm including this book as part of this witches topic that we're doing, because I think this was almost like a predecessor to some of what we talked about in the introduction that like there's some of this female rage and like things that happen to women and how they manifest that into other uh, avenues and like through magic in these books. And it, I don't know, I just think that that they again they were really compelling to me in a way that maybe Quentin in the first book was not for sure so so that's why I think it's worth reading I will say and I know I haven't sold it very well but I just again when I finished it I was very I found it in a completely immersive experience by the end and really felt like 
again, you had gotten to know the characters, they had grown, they had changed, bad stuff happens, good stuff happens. It just felt so like this world that you were in. What they discover, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is a spoiler. So if you're hesitant about spoilers, skip ahead like 30 seconds. They realize that Fillory from the books is actually a real place that they can go now that they have magical powers. So what happens is the book shifts from being in the school setting to then this magical world setting. And what's what the reality is behind this luster that was this magical place in the books that seems so perfect is that maybe the reality of this magical place isn't. So I don't know. It just, it presents such an interesting concept to me about like the fantasy versus the reality of anything in life and like there's there's the there's a downside or realism to anything and so I don't know I just and these books have really stuck with me I read them when they came out so whenever the first book came out and the second book you know I read two years later or whatever and then the the final book later and I still remember so much about them and to me that is just such a good hallmark of a good book is or a thought-provoking book that that it sticks with you like that so sure that is the magicians by lev grossman and it's funny too like it's dark but it is funny and i i don't know i just it was yeah it's, it's different it's unique it's different from everything else i think i've ever read so yeah and and i i had kind of the same the same experience but i also felt like once it shifts, I don't want to give the spoiler in case people are not skip or <laughs> skipped ahead before, <laughs> right. but once it shifts locations, I found it less compelling. But I also think that that plays out more in the second books from what I understand. Because a, a good friend of mine loves the series and uh-huh. is, is pretty emotionally attached to it. And he, when I said that to him, he's like, oh, no, you need to read the rest of it. Yeah. Because there's there's much more to, to yeah. that than than how I had felt when yeah because uh, I I really enjoyed even though Quentin is completely whiny mm-hmm. I I still liked the school aspect of it mm-hmm. even even though it isn't magical in the way that Harry Potter is magical where you're you're just so entranced by the school going experience and this mm-hmm. is much more uh uh harrowing and yeah. also mundane yeah yeah yep, yep. Perfect way to describe it. Lots of ways. Yeah. So Yeah. Um, I think I think you should go finish finish it. I think that it's Yeah, it was it, it's one of the This was a book that I did during surgery and then oh, okay. never picked up the rest right. of them because I went on to other surgery books. Yeah. So. <laughs> As one does. But um, yes. this is just, there are, there are a handful of trilogies that I feel like get stronger as they go along. And this is one of them. And I feel like I do not mean to disparage any author who has written a trilogy. But in this particular case, I feel like he had a very set idea in his head of where the story was ending up. And so... Some of what feels belabored or like Quentin being annoying in the first one or, you know, that was purposeful. There was a reason why the setup is what it is and why he is who he he is. And then it pays it pays off at the end. And so I would I would agree with your friend that it's it's worth sticking with it, even if you didn't find the the new setting completely compelling because what he does with it is pretty interesting. Cool. Yeah. All right. I want to read it right now. I kind of want to read the series again, (laughs) but my word, I don't know when I would have time, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. What's your last one? Um, So my last book is I Tichuba Black Witch of Salem by Maurice Conde. And I think of this as a classic. I'm, I know that Maurice Conde is, is uh, very award-winning and, but I don't know if this book is a, is as big of a, um, like house. I don't know if she's really a household name, but I don't know if this one has as much um, fame as her other books. But it does for me because it's about witches. <laughs> so this book does one of my favorite things in any kind of fictional setting where she takes a little-known historical figure and then fleshes it out and speculates on what their story could be. I um, love that so much. It's it's my favorite. I I don't know of anything that... I, I know that we often say this is one of my favorites, but this might be my actual favorite where, where you just know a little bit and now you get lots from that. So if you know your, your Salem witchcraft history, then you know that Chichuba was the first accused witch um, of the entire uh, saga. 
basically the the entire um, story starts in the kitchen, the kitchen where she was enslaved, and she was the the person that was telling stories that led to the the accusations that that eventually happened. So um, in this book, uh, it starts with her birth. She's the product of a rape where her mother was was raped by a sailor on an English slave ship. Then she's born in Barbados and grows up on a plantation and her mother is attacked by the plantation owner um, when she's a child and uh, he attempts rape on her mother and she she stabs him but doesn't kill him and so she's of course hanged as a result and so she Tichuba goes to live with an old woman who is is just kind of a solitary person and she is named Mama Yaya and uh, she teaches Tichuba the healing arts and so she learns about herbs and all kinds of spells but but it's not really presented in uh, it's only later that Tichuba learns the word witch from other people she she just knows how to how to fix things and how to influence things so eventually mama yaya dies and Tichuba lives by herself in the in the woods and she or i think actually a swamp and she builds her own house and she just has this kind of solitary existence um, where she raises her own animals and she's she's completely self-sustaining and she's surrounded by the spirits of the people who loved her so mama yaya is there her own mother is there and then the mother the man that her mother married eventually is there so her father figure and they communicate with her and she uh, knows that they're protecting her so she is not living as a slave she's she's just kind of on the periphery of these plantations and at one point she goes out to uh, to find something I don't I don't remember what she's doing and she meets a bunch of slaves that she sees are very emaciated and just look awful and she realizes that this is what slavery does that that she's living a a better life i guess than than they are and that they also fear her that that people know about her and that and that when they see her they're afraid of her and she she finds this very strange as an adult um or or maybe she's a teenager she meets a man named John Indian and he is a slave living nearby and he's extremely charismatic and a big flirt and she immediately falls in love with him and when she goes back to her her cabin she's told by the spirits not to get involved with him that nothing good is going to happen from from this uh relationship but she doesn't listen and she even though he's he seems completely enamored with her. She still concocts a spell that will make him fall in love with her. So she goes to live with him. And when she, she's very upset about this idea of, of leaving her, what, the life that she set up for herself, but she, she knows that this is, this is the only way that they can be together. So she goes to live with him. And uh, when she gets to the plantation, the owner expects her to be a slave. If she's, if she's going to be married to a slave, then she is also going to act as one. So, Tichuba is very spirited and she won't have it and so she she agrees to some aspects of it but then uh, she really pushes back on others and so uh, through some some events she she causes the it's a, a woman that owns uh, John Indian and he or she causes uh, this woman to fall ill and the woman knows that it was Tichuba and so in retaliation she sells them to a man who is uh, a failed plantation owner and is going to Boston. And this man is Samuel Paris. And if you know the witch trials, you know that, the, that he's the center of all the witch trial fervor. So um, he is an awful person. He treats his family horribly and um, he forces religion on uh, Tichuba. And she she feels that this is the the spirituality that she experiences is loving and beautiful and through this man Samuel Paris she understands fear and uh, terrible things so she uh, has a, a much different experience living with him when they get to Boston um, or when they get that they they go sail into Boston but then they go he he's just been hired as the new uh, minister of Salem Village which is now Danvers as I said earlier he is one of the things I like about the book is how much they go into all of the little details that went into why the witch trials happened. And so one one issue is that he uh, isn't being paid the way he feels he should be, be he should be paid. And so there's a lot of contention between him and the rest of the the citizens of the village. And her the kitchen of this house where Tichuba kind of has control. She this this becomes the center of of all of this gossip in the village as these girls come to gossip with her and with 
Samuel Paris's daughter and his niece who are living living in this house. And they Tichuba realizes that some girls are worse than others. She can she can tell that there are a few that just really relish gossiping about others in the village and that they want to discuss women who are unusual, people they don't like, and they start to speculate on who they could be, and this leads to discussion of, of witchcraft. And Tichuba kind of goes along with it, but thinking that she knows thinking that they know that it's a joke, but they this leads to terrible consequences as as we know from history. So this I don't think I'm going to do justice in the discussion of this book because it's really one that could be studied in school and I kind of read it as as I do with most things at the the first time I read them just for plot. But this definitely is trying to look at history looking for the people who played a huge part of of the story but aren't reflected in the way we tell the history. So when we talk about Tichaba, we we know very very little about her as a historical figure and we just know her as this cause of the witch the witch trials basically. But this book goes into colonization and um, what that does to a population and all the racial components of this story and the gender components of how women are treated in a society that sees them as dangerous or as property, um, especially women who are on the outside and uh, don't play the roles that we expected from women during that period and uh, still today. <laughs> um, so this is this is one that I, I'm eager to reread because I feel like uh, it's a very short book, but I feel like there's just so much meat for me to chew on when I when I read this. I, I feel like I could read this several times and get something different out of it. I'm I'm uh, heartily recommend this one and it's I Tichuba Black Witch of Salem by Maurice Conde. Well that sounds amazing too. You picked three books that I don't think I've ever heard of. Although I maybe have heard of this one before, but I definitely haven't read it. Yeah. I think I think you would like this one a lot. Yeah. Yeah yeah. All right, my last one is The Rules of Magic by Alice Hoffman, and it is a prequel to Practical Magic, which people may be familiar with because the movie was made, I think it was like 20 years ago, maybe? Yeah, like 98, maybe, 97? Yeah, Yeah. okay, so we'll say 20-something years ago uh, with Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. I have not read the book. I did see the movie when it came out of Practical Magic, but that's my only familiarity with it was this you know, 20-year-old memory of the, the movie. And honestly, all I remember is there's a scene where they make margaritas at night and, like, dance around the kitchen. It's a anyway. super famous scene. It's my Pardon? most hated part of the... I, love, I like the movie a lot, but I hate that scene of the movie. Oh, really? Which is okay. the well, opposite that's... of everyone else's experience where they're yeah. like, oh, that's yeah, the best no, part. Yeah, no, that's the only thing I remember. So, and it probably I only even remember that because it, like, shows up places, you know, yeah. like, in the current day. Okay, so that's all to say that I don't remember anything really to speak of about practical magic but I really enjoy the rules of magic which is so in practical magic they go and stay with their aunts or they live with their aunts or something and so this book is about the aunts when they were teenagers basically young adults they also had a brother who I don't know if he plays a role in the book or movie or not no I don't think he does okay so um so the three of them are growing up in the 50s and the 60s and they don't ever really fit in and they don't I don't know. They just feel like they don't belong They're They all have kind of like quirky personalities, although the brother is very, very charming and likable. But I don't know. They just feel like they never really fit in. And then one summer they're sent to stay with their aunt in a tiny Massachusetts town. And when they get there, all of a sudden they do feel like they fit in because they start exploring their magic. And so it's like they've always sort of there's a curse on the family. And so they've always push down that side of themselves but because it was there it sort of made them oddballs and now they can fully embrace it and so what I liked about this there are lots of things I liked about this book it's sort of a coming-of-age story that you would read without any sort of magical elements but it does have that magic to it which makes it special and then it also has something to say about coming to terms with being different in a world that maybe doesn't accept you but coming like being okay with that and embracing what makes you different and that's what makes you you which is a message that I think everybody can use and Alice Hoffman is just a wonderful writer like she writes really lyrically but also it's very straightforward like it's not so like you don't get get lost in the sentences because they're so poetic it's just like a beautifully written story and there's this mystical quality with the magic that I liked that that was sort of just like a layer over a very realistic story which if you've 
paid attention at all. That is exactly the kind of fantasy-ish books that I like. <laughs> I don't like really high fantasy always. I just, I like it when, it's like, it's, I guess that's magical realism. Although this to me felt much more grounded in reality than magical realism does sometimes. But, right. um, but yeah, it's like each character feels distinct. They have they have personalities. They're very well-rounded. You're understanding their individual journeys. And then as a as a group of siblings, you see them develop and come into their own. And I really enjoyed it. It made me want to go read Practical Magic. But yet I didn't feel like I was missing out because I wasn't familiar or that familiar with Practical Magic. So that's The Rules of Magic by Alice Hoffman. I, I think we listened to this for the same committee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I actually did listen to Practical Magic first because I thought I needed to know about that. And I really loved it. And I was very surprised by that because I thought, like, my memory of the movie was that, and I also saw it when it came out, was just this kind of, I, I remembered it as being kind of vapid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that might have just been how I felt about things at that age because I felt like everything was vapid at that age and so so when I read the book I was really surprised at how much I loved it and then I went back and watched the movie and and really enjoyed it I I still don't love the the midnight margarita scene but Mm -hmm. I thought that it was completely charming and magical and 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 had a lot of interesting things to say and and so I I very much second this recommendation oh good good yeah I was it was so this committee that you're, I think it's okay to say what it is, I right? think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we both judge for the Audio Awards, which is an annual thing that the Audio what, Audiobook Publishers Association, is that what Yes, it? Yeah. I think so. Audio they Publishers, do. something like that. Something like that, APA. <laughs> yeah. And so this is one of the reasons why I love to do it is because I end up stumbling on books that I never probably would have picked up on my own or or maybe eventually would have gotten to. But this, like in this case, I would have felt like, well, I probably need to read Practical Magic first. And then, yeah. you know, and I maybe never would have gotten around to that. But because you're judging, you're just like, OK, well, I guess I'm listening to this. And um, and I yeah, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty delightful. And, yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was lovely. All right. Well, we will be right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, this week, surprise, it's about witches. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> um, I wanted to revisit, I actually thought about doing this as one of my books, and then I decided I I didn't, I wanted to go a different direction um, with Salem books. So this week, I've been kind of dabbling in books by Ruth Chu, who is one of my childhood favorite writers. If you're not familiar with it, with her, she is an author and illustrator, and her, she wrote her first book in 1969 and wrote throughout the 70s. And so the reason I know these is because uh, my, my siblings are all um, a fair bit older than I am. And so they had these books, the, like the original published versions of them. Um, and so I just read them growing up. I thought everyone knew about them. And then I never hear her talked about. And and I just loved them when I was a kid. They were they were all about witches. And, and so... I through my library they it looks like they were reissued in the uh maybe like 2009 I want to say with different covers and and so my library has all of them and so I I got all of them as um uh ebooks and I've just been kind of dipping in and out of them all week and um it's just been so much fun to revisit my a book that I haven't visited since I was probably 8 so the the first book that she wrote is called The Wednesday Witch, and I'll kind of describe the plot of that one because they all sort of have the same feel as, as this book, but um, different premises. In this book, it's about a little girl named Mary Jane, and she lives in Brooklyn, and she she's at home by herself, and her mother has told her to not open the door for anyone. And someone came, comes knocking on the door, and she looks out, and there's a witch standing on the, the doorstep. And so she, uh, through some, some adventures, she offends this witch and she ends up with the witch's cat and the witch's vacuum. The witch is just kind of this grumpy old woman, but is is fairly harmless. She doesn't really do anything that's that's particularly menacing other than just being grumpy. But she has the ability to cut things down with scissors. So she kind of snips at things and, and it doesn't hurt the thing, but she makes it into 
whatever size she needs it to be. So, um, so she does this to the cat. So this cat ends up being this little like two inch tall cat that that Mary Jane can then uh, carry around with her. So because she offends the witch, the the witch runs off. Um, she steals her her roller skates and skates off um, to her home. And so she through the course of the book the witch is trying to get back her magical uh, vacuum cleaner and um and mary jane explores what it's like to have these these magical things in her life and she finds that they don't always lead to good things when she takes the cat to uh school with her then she gets into trouble for all the antics that the cat gets into and um it just it just has this very charming old-fashioned feel to it in ways that that books aren't written anymore um there's the plot is pretty slight as you may be able to tell as i'm describing it i don't have a lot to say about it it's just not as deeply detailed as you find now from from other fantasy books for written for children but it it still managed to manages manages to capture that same feeling of of this magical excitement that you would you would get but in kind of a more realistic way because you're just you just open the door and then magic is in your life. And, and I, I just really enjoy that about this, this series. So the, the books, it, it's a kind of written as a series in that it's all the same world and the same feeling to it, but uh-huh. it's not the same characters at all. So you don't have to read those, these in order. I haven't gotten to my favorite book in the series yet, but it's called What the Witch Left. And my memory of it is that they get these magical like one of their family members i think is a witch and and it's two little girls and they they find these things that she leaves behind and one of them are these seven league boots that they use to travel around the world and they have to coordinate together to make sure because there's only two boots they have to make sure that they don't get lost from each other and so they set it up so they have they're taking steps in certain ways and they put they put their feet in the boots to be able to walk together in certain ways and i i just I, I, that stuck with me for <laughs> decades because of how cool that sounded so right. it's always i think a little bit of a risk when you revisit old mm-hmm. favorites because uh, sometimes you can find that they don't hold up at all and i will say that there's an awful lot of housekeeping that takes place in these books um it seems like the moms are always vacuuming just in time for dad to come home so so be forewarned about that but in a way i kind of enjoy that aspect of it too because it just feels like an era that doesn't exist anymore and uh, i always like learning about things uh that are gone even if it's not my favorite thing about it i'm just kind of fascinated by by the past in that way so that is uh the wednesday witch is the the book i talked about and uh, my general recommendation are books by ruth chu those sound adorable yeah they're very adorable that's a good way of putting it those sound adorable so this week i am listening to the bride test by helen huang Ooh. Uh, yes have you read this I've read uh, The Kiss Quotient, Quiz but quotient. not this one. Okay. So this is, like many romance novels, they take secondary or tertiary characters from previous books and make them main characters in later books. So this is the case here. In I, Our listeners may have heard of The Kiss Quotient. It was like burst onto the scene a year ago or so, a year or two ago, and got a lot of attention. And this is the second in the, I guess, it's the same world. I don't know if it's considered a series or not, but it takes a side character from the Kiss Quotient and makes him the main character. So it is about a woman uh, named Esme Tran, who uh, is a young, she's a single mother. She lives in Vietnam. She is part Vietnamese, part, part American, but she doesn't know her father at all. He left when she was, I believe, when she, her mother was pregnant. Like, I don't even think he stuck around until she was born. And so she's never met him. She doesn't know anything about him. She knows his first name. That's it. And she is cleaner, like a housekeeper at a hotel. And she dreams of a better life, but she also is pretty realistic about what she needs to do to support her daughter. And she lives with her mother and she helps out, you know, with household bills and things. And so this is what she needs to do. So one day she is cleaning a bathroom in the hotel, um, not like in a room of the hotel, but like the lobby or something like a communal bathroom. And a string of girls come in, comes in and they're all crying individually. And like one comes in and leaves and then the next comes in and leaves. And she's thinking to herself, all these women look exactly alike. Like they're all wearing high heels. They're all wearing these 
pretty dresses, they all have this long, straight, beautiful hair. Why are they all crying? Like, the, is there like is there a pageant going on that I don't know about or something? <laughs> but she's just going about her her job cleaning. And then an older woman can, comes in and they kind of strike up a conversation. And as it turns out, this woman is is in Vietnam to try to find a wife for her son. She said she thinks that her son is never going to make the effort to go out and find somebody, but she thinks he needs a, a wife in his life. And so she is in Vietnam to try to find somebody who would be a good fit for him. So as they talk, she ends up offering to Esme that she will pay for her to come to the U.S. for three months to spend the summer there to get to know her son, and maybe they will be a good match. She just sees something in her that she thinks that this is going to be a good fit. So then you meet Kai, her son, and he is autistic. And so he doesn't think that he has the capability of feeling like deep emotions. Um, The book actually starts years before the rest of the story at a funeral. And it shows that he has a reaction at the funeral of this person that's very close to him that is different from those surrounding him. And people are asking him like, why aren't you crying? You were so close to this person. And so he has this idea in his head that like, he's pretty happy with his life. He has a structure to his life, but he is never going to feel the emotions of grief or love that the people surrounding him do. But he agrees, he, he, Esme comes, he knows the reason that she is there, but he agrees to let her live with him basically to get his mom off of his back. Like he's like, okay, I'll let her live here for the summer but then you can never meddle in my life again. And you just have to let me do what I want to do to be happy. You know where this is going. They're spending more time together. They slowly start developing some trust with each other and they start understanding each other from like their, the, where they're coming from and what their perspectives are and like what, what is important to them and things like that. At the same time, Esme is looking for her dad because she's taking the opportunity to be in the U.S. to see if she can find him. Again, she only has his first name. So she's like, I'm going to see what I can do with this information. And Kai agrees to help her. And he like he shows his affection for her, this growing attachment he has to her in ways that she understands him to be that it's like a a loving Like other people might just be like, okay, whatever. But he goes out of his way to help her. Like that's the way he's showing his feelings for her. And so even though they're very different, they seem to have this connection and they just seem to understand each other in a way that few people have ever understood Kai in his life. It's just like a, it's a very sweet story. It's funny. There's some like cultural things that Helen Huang points out that are pretty funny. It's very steamy. I will warn people because I think sometimes if you see the book covers, they seem like these light kind of rom-com covers. And there is some steam to uh, both The Kiss Quotient and The Bride Test. So I just yes. warn people of that. because I, I was think they, very shocked. Yeah, people are a little shocked, I think, when they pick it up, how explicit they are. Um, and I will also say that Helen Huang herself is autistic. So it comes her her representation of Kai comes from a very authentic and realistic and sensitively displayed place you know she's 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 coming from something she knows and I believe her child is autistic as well um and so that means something you know I think as a reader when you're reading about this person this character that the person who is writing them has some personal experience so to draw from so it feels like a relatable kind of authentic character so that is The Bride Test by Helen Huang that sounds so fun. It is. It's really good. I like it. I actually have to say, I think I like it better than the Kiss Quotient. Oh, really? Uh-huh. I, I liked the Kiss Quotient. I, I was very shocked by how steamy it was because I wasn't expecting steamy. that. I but don't... It's, it was a really fun book. Um, there, I have not gotten to anything in this book that is quite as steamy as the Kiss Quotient, but I'm also not done with it yet. So Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say that it's not as steamy because I, I think that it is, but I just haven't gotten there to that yet. All right, so let's go back and list off everything we talked about today. I talked about How to Hang a Witch by Adriana Mather. We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. I Tichiba, Black Witch of Salem by Maurice Conde. And what I'm reading this week is The Wednesday Witch by Ruth Chu and just generally all Ruth Chu books. <laughs> all of them. All right, so I talked about A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness, The Magicians by Lev Grossman, 
The Rules of Magic by Alice Hoffman, and what I'm listening to this week is The Bride Test by Helen Huang. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. We have had some a little bit of discussion on Facebook, which we love seeing. So please, It's so much fun. It's Keep so doing fun. It, so please. please comment or ask us questions. We had a couple of questions about where to start with Tana French, which was awesome. We love nothing more than talking about Tana French. And nothing more. Nothing more. And so please, you know, reach out if you have questions like that or if you want to give us any sort of thoughts about what we should talk about in the future. You can also, a couple of people have reached out to me through Instagram. My Instagram is Hallie770. Um, you could do that too. Uh, I posted a picture this week of this huge chat tower of books that is destined to fall over in my office. I'm trying to see how high I can get it. <laughs> it's riveting content, I tell you. I don't know why I don't have millions of followers. <laughs> Um, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast or provider of choice, we'd appreciate it. It helps other people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.